a series called Rise Above, and uh, this morning we want to call you out as the church to rise above. In a world that would prefer to keep us down, we are called to rise above the storm, to rise above pettiness, to rise above the fray. But often we find ourselves playing in the mud of public opinion. Just like a plane taking off in a storm we talked about last week, it goes, the storm is all on the ground and you see it, but the further it goes up higher, the elevation as it begins to rise up, you begin to get above that storm and it looks clear and everything looks, looks, looks great and perfect. And so the encouragement as we think about rising up is getting up above the storm and allowing God to work through us in those circumstances, to get above the negative and the, the things that we hear constantly now, if you watch the news. So just like taking off a plane, we just get above that storm. And I believe that we as a church are called to rise above it. And if we are called to rise above, above and I believe we are, we must first learn to rise above guilt, shame, and regrets of the past. So that means we need to look internally. In order to rise above, we need to look internally. And I'm convinced that shame and guilt it was, is what holds many of us back from being all that God has called us to be. And as a result, this is holding the church back from all that it is called to be, the church universal. Now, why do I believe this? I believe this because we have an enemy He's also called the accuser that is tirelessly at work to convince you and to convince me that we are no good. That you're not worthy. That you're not good enough. Remember what you did? You could never be used by God. You're too shy, too outgoing, too bold, too big, too small, too old, too young, too sinful, too good. You don't have a great enough testimony. You didn't get delivered out of drugs and alcohol. Too rich, too poor. If you go by all of that list, who can be used by God? It seems no one, except maybe Jesus Christ himself. He was sinless, so therefore he could be used by God, and he was. So I want to ask this question to us. Why do we believe these lies? If we know that God has a calling for us, if we know that there's an accuser out there continuously coming back at us saying we're not good enough, why do we listen and give place to that voice? Why do we let its foot in the door of our minds and our hearts? You see, that is not God's will and plan for your life. That's not the plan that you're listening to when you give in to those lies. That is Satan's plan for your life. Let me get into this before I preach the entire message in the introduction. Let me move on here just for a second. This morning we're going we're to talk about a woman who illustrates how God works in us to help us to rise above guilt and shame. And this was a woman, a woman in the Bible who was caught in sin. And she was marched through the streets as everybody saw her sin on display for everyone to see. And the first thing we have to recognize, if we're going to rise above, is that we have to rise above the lies that we're believing. 
This woman was caught with a man who was not her husband, and her sin was exposed, and there was great shame and great guilt for this woman. The self-proclaimed keepers of the law, keepers of the faith, brought this woman before Jesus after parading her around the town, and they laid or threw her at his feet. And they said, Jesus, the law says we should stone this woman to death. This situation demands justice. It demands justice. But what do you say, Jesus? How do you think this should be handled? Jesus, who is our example, we do call ourselves Christ followers. He did not give in to the hype of the moment. But you see, what he did is he, he stooped down on the ground and began to write in the dirt. He stayed calm. I wonder if he was remembering when he first created man out of the dust of the earth that he was putting his finger in at that moment. I wonder if he was thinking about how all humans who are created from dirt are sinful. In our own humanity, we sin. Yet these men that brought this woman before him seem to be above sinning. They see her as much worse than they were. Jesus then stood up and said one of the most profound things in all of Scripture. In John chapter 8, verses 7 through 8, it says, They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. So, okay, yes, you can stone her to death if you'd like, but there's just one stipulation. There's only one rule for you. If you have never sinned, go ahead and do it. Kill her. See, these people were self-aware enough to know that none of them were perfect. Jesus turned the tables on them, and one by one, they had to be honest with themselves. One by one, they walked away from the circumstance. They walked away from the situation. Because they knew that they were not sinless, nor were they bold enough to declare that they were sinless, although they were acting as if they were. John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. When we think about shame and guilt and regret, we can easily picture this scene because we have seen it played out many times in our own lives or in the lives of people around us. Picture this scene for a moment. What does somebody, when you see them, that looks dejected do? That looks like they're struggling or depressed or feel guilt or shame, what do they do? Their head is down. They're looking at the ground. They're looking at the dust of the earth. They don't look you in the eye. You can't even look anyone in the eye. She is riddled with shame, with guilt, with regret. And Jesus asked her this question, where are your accusers? You see, in this situation, Jesus stood for a woman that couldn't stand for herself. She would have been killed if Jesus had not been there. Where 
are your accusers? And that's a good question, not only for this woman, but for us. You see, we know the voices of condemnation. We know what they sound like. You aren't good enough. You'll never improve. You'll never get past your addiction. You failed again. You never do anything right. You see, Satan is relentless, and he will use people, and he will use situations to get his message to your brain. He will do it in many different ways. So that's the message you begin to hear, and that's the message you begin to believe, and that's the message you begin to act out. That's the message that keeps your head down. That's the message that keeps you looking at the ground, not looking people in the eye, because of the shame and the guilt that Satan puts on your shoulders. Talk about fake news. Satan is feeding you fake news every day of your life. How do you counteract fake news? Good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. Because he died for that sin that we continue to carry, that we don't have to carry. Unlike the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Satan's condemnation brings no repentance or resolve, just regret. You see, because we know the Holy Spirit sometimes brings those things up in our life so that we can deal with them, so that we can be healed from them, so that they can be confessed, so that it can be resolved. But that is not Satan's purpose in bringing that up in your mind. Guilt and shame are his preferred weapons of of him to keep you from doing all that God has planned in your life. As we talked about last series, from doing infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. And you know in your life, you know this by experience, because you've you've faced this before. I'm not the only one where you've heard Satan's voice speaking certain things about you, putting you down. But he will repeat the adulterous woman scenario in your life as long as you let him. He'll continue to tell you those things. He'll continue to speak death into your life. He will continue to march you through the streets and drag your name through the mud. He pushes you into the center of the crowd and calls out your sin with an open mic so that all can hear what you've done. That would not be a fun exercise this morning if you were to pass around the mic and tell what everybody else has done. But the great thing about this story is that Satan doesn't have the last word in this woman's life. And he doesn't have the last word in our lives either. You see, because we can rise above that regret. There's a book I read called Grace by Max Lucado. And one of the things he talked about, he said that well before this moment in time, Jesus stooped low enough to sleep in a manger. He stooped low enough to work in a carpentry shop and to sleep in a fishing boat. He stooped low enough to rub shoulders with crooks and lepers. Low enough to be spat on, to be slapped, to be speared. Low enough to be buried. In this situation, Jesus stooped and wrote in the ground. And before that, he stooped from heaven above to humanity, to here on this earth. Low enough to be buried, even though he was God in the flesh crucified and buried and in the same way that he stood up to defend this woman he stood up from that slab of death 
He stood upright in Joseph's tomb and right in Satan's face. He stood tall. He stood for the woman and silenced her accusers. And he does the same for you and he does the same for me. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 22 says this. It says, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Here's what I want you to pay attention to closely. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us what? To make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. You see, our guilty consciences have been clean. We have a clean record, a clean heart, free from accusation, free from condemnation. And if this is true, then I believe that in our spiritual lives that we should then walk in freedom. Grace, the grace of God gives us freedom to be able to walk, knowing that that shame and guilt that was once there is no longer there. We're no longer carrying it on our shoulders because we've given it away, because his, the cross has forgiven it all, has cleansed it all, has taken the weight. And how does this happen? Only by God's grace does this happen. You see, Jesus overpowers Satan's guilt with words of grace. We all know the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His amazing grace covers our sinful lives. It gives us the unmerited favor of God. It cannot be earned. It is freely given to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, this is the fruit of grace. We're raised by God. We're seated with God. We're gifted. We're equipped. And we're commissioned with a work to do. You are who he says you are. You're spiritually alive and connected to God. You're a billboard of mercy. And so am I. Why do we still listen to those voices? Why do we still feel that guilt on our hearts and on our souls? See, God's guilt brings enough regret to change us. 
But Satan's guilt brings enough regret to enslave us, to put us in chains. Don't let the enemy of your soul lock the chains around your life. In this particular woman's situation, and in your situation, and in mine, an encounter with Jesus changed everything. The fourth point this morning, be all that God has called you to be. Not by living with the shame and regret that continually holds you back, but by living in the freedom that he gives. For the woman, Jesus did not condemn her or judge her, but he did ask her to change, to do things differently this time, to go and to sin no more. Does this mean that she was sinless the rest of her life? I'm thinking probably not. But she experienced the transforming power of grace to defeat shame and guilt in her life. And so can you. See, when the lies about you are beginning to take over your thoughts, when you begin to believe those things that you hear about yourself, Christ stands in your defense. He's created you, and he was stooping at one moment, but now he stands in your defense. Why? Because we are clothed, we're covered in his righteousness. That means that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, but sees Jesus. It's a covering that protects us from the sin that we've done. When we ask for forgiveness and we have Jesus in our lives, he sees a new creation. He sees us cleansed and made new. We continue to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, and that is a continual process. It doesn't just stop suddenly. It doesn't just, all of a sudden, you've made it. You've figured it all out. You have nothing more to do. It's a continual process of transforming the mind and allowing God to transform our mind according to his word. It's a process. So this morning, how do we rise above guilt and shame? Number one, we recognize the lies of the enemy meant to keep you down. We rise above the lies. Number two, know that Jesus stands for you and he stands with you. He is your defender. He has already done what needs to be done to break the chains of, of shame and guilt. He's already died on that cross. That is done. Now it's our responsibility to accept it and not allow the lies to continue to creep in and carry the weight of guilt and shame in our lives. So we rise above regret. The third thing we do is we walk in that freedom. We meditate on what God says about who we are, and we look for those things, those deeds that it talks about in that passage that he's created us long ago to do. And number four, we, be all, we should be all that God has called us to be. Because we can live in freedom without that shame and guilt holding us back from all of it. This morning I want to encourage you to know that the first step to freedom, like this woman caught in sin, is we have to be today caught in our own sin. Maybe your sin hasn't been paraded before others. But every one of us have sinned. Your first step may need to be just to come to Jesus. To 
place yourself at his feet this morning. And I want to share a message with you that you don't always hear about church or about Jesus. He didn't come to judge and condemn. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save those that are lost. So your first step may need to be to come to Jesus. In a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that with that first step. There may be others of you this morning that are struggling with guilt and shame. You just can't seem to shake it, and you continue to carry the weight of that guilt and shame day by day, and it continues to get heavier, and you get more weary, and you get more weak the longer you try to carry it. I want to share with you today that Jesus doesn't condemn you because you're carrying that. But he has died so that you don't have to carry that shame and guilt. As the scripture said that we just read, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies been washed with pure water. Christ has cleansed you. Walk in that freedom. This is time to lift up your head, to rise above and walk in the freedom that he died to give to you. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Be washed anew in his amazing grace this morning. Let's pray together this morning. If you'd like to give your heart to Christ, you can say a prayer something like this. You can repeat it if you'd like, or you can pray something similar. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. Help me to rise above the guilt and the shame and walk in your freedom to walk in your grace. Help me be all that you've called me to be and help me to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Make me new today. Be the lifter of my head. Come into my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those of you who are here with us this morning, I have a a sheet after walking out if you'd want to pick this up, but I think it's very important to continually speak God's word over your life. And this is something that was created by Neil Anderson. In the past, we've given bookmarks of these. This is just a sheet that you can maybe post somewhere, put somewhere, but it's who I am in Christ. And the three main categories, I am accepted, I am secure, I am significant. Begin to speak those. Whenever you hear those lies about you, begin to creep into your mind. Begin to speak God's truth. They're available right there on the way out. You can pick one up. Let's all stand together this morning. I know sometimes we read God's word and sometimes we we hear it in a message. But sometimes we read scripture as if it's for that other guy or that other lady around us. We don't read it as if it personally applies to us. But it does apply to us. us. And we're going to read this together, a passage that we read earlier today. But we're going to put your name there. We're going to make it personal. Because I believe this is you declaring God's truth and his word for your life and for my life. So go ahead and repeat after me. If this is Ephesians 2, chapter 4, 2, verses 4 through 10. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved me so much, that even though I was dead because of my sins, he gave me life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that I have been saved. 
For he raised me from the dead along with Christ and seated me with him in the heavenly realms because I am united in Christ Jesus. So God can point to me in all future ages as example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward me as shown in all he has done for me because I am united in Christ Jesus. God saved me by his grace when I believed. And I can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things I have done. So I can't boast about it. For I am God's masterpiece. He has created me anew in Christ Jesus so I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. Amen. Let's go and do those things to together. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.